peculiar time of the year when it's to know where you are and why you have been kidnapped. Well, the bridge of sign. The guys who works here went psycho. Welcome to October by May. The short stories of Edward T. May. Presented by James Allen May. Okay, things are a little tense right now, and we know everyone has their own opinion on this controversial issue. But, since it is October now, we won't be able to hide from it. The topic will come up on social media, in casual conversation, it manned up all over the news. So, let's just hash it out. Are you for or against, pro or con? Do you stand in support or opposition? You must choose a side. Here it is, the question that divides so many. Is candy corn delicious? I am a proud candy corn devourer. That taste just immediately puts me in the autumnal mood. Though, I must admit, I do prefer the mellow cream pumpkins. Actually, I pretty much love everything pumpkin. One of my favorite Indian dishes is a pumpkin curry. I love a good pumpkin pastry or cake. Beer purists will hate me for what I'm about to say, but I like pumpkin beer. And though I generally drink my coffee black, I totally think a pumpkin spice latte is delicious. Surprisingly enough, not a huge pumpkin pie fan, but give me a pumpkin pie cheesecake and I'm in heaven. So, yeah, give me everything pumpkin. That's why. In this episode, I'm giving you everything pumpkin. Two stories centered around our favorite autumnal gourd. First, we'll celebrate the age-old tradition of pumpkin carving, as Mike watches his neighbor's nephew happily place jack-o'-lantern after jack-o'-lantern on his front porch throughout Halloween night. But, as we all know, anything can happen on Halloween, and even the most wholesome activity is subject. To a sinister twist. Jack-o'-lanterns. Mike! Hey! Mike! Hold on a minute! Mike Garrison turned at the sound of his name to see Charlie Atkinson approaching. As he waited for Charlie to cross the street, Mike hefted a sack full of candy from the seat of his car and kicked the door closed. Mike! Have you got a minute? Charlie asked. Mike noticed a man, vaguely familiar, standing in Charlie's driveway, watching the proceedings. Sure, Mike said, as he placed the shopping bag full of candy on the hood of his car. I know this is asking a lot, it's last minute and all that, but I need a favor, Charlie announced hopefully. Mike, guessing the favor concerned the man Charlie had left behind, glanced across the street. Mike figured the man was in his early twenties. He was tall and athletic, but despite his apparent physical prowess, he seemed unsure of himself. As Mike watched, the man stuffed his hands inside his pockets, only to pull them out again almost immediately and fold his arms across his chest. Mike turned his attention back to Charlie. What's the problem? Mike asked. It's like this. Amy's sister had some type of family emergency and she needed us to look after her son, Richard, until about nine o'clock tonight. Now, here's the problem. My boss invited Amy and I to his Halloween party. The party starts at seven. 
I can't miss it, and I can't be late. My boss is a stickler for that sort of thing. That leaves a two-hour window when Richard will be by himself. Mike once again glanced at Richard, judging him to be well over six feet tall and weighing in the neighborhood of 220 pounds. Charlie, I know it's none of my business, but he sure looks like he's old enough to be left alone, Mike observed. Charlie peeked over his shoulder at his nephew. Richard suddenly stooped down and picked up a bottle cap from the gutter. After inspecting the bottle cap for a few seconds, Richard tossed it into the air and gazed at it hopefully, as if he expected it to sprout wings and fly away. He pouted momentarily before retrieving the bottle cap and throwing it skyward once again, alas with the same disappointing results. Physically, he's old enough, Charlie confided. But mentally... Charlie stuck his hand out and waggled it back and forth to emphasize his point. What do you mean? Mike whispered conspiratorially. I told you about Richard before, Charlie reminded him. Remember? He's the one that got in that car accident a few years ago. He hasn't been the same since, Charlie explained, shaking his head sympathetically. Mike, remembering the incident, nodded. Richard had suffered brain damage. Although serious, the injury was not completely disabling, essentially amounting to a frontal lobotomy. At least that was how Charlie had explained it. Although Mike seriously doubted if Charlie really knew how anyone with a frontal lobotomy would behave. Mike considered Charlie to be a good neighbor. He'd helped Mike out on more than one occasion, and Mike liked him. But Mike was still apprehensive about the situation Charlie was outlining, and didn't mind at all if his apprehension showed. In fact, he hoped it would be more than obvious he wasn't wild about the idea of watching Richard. I don't know, Charlie, Mike said hesitantly. He's a pretty big guy. I mean, he's not going to get violent, is he? Charlie shook his head vigorously. Oh, no, nothing like that, he assured Mike. He's childlike, sort of like a big kid. Mike squinted at Charlie. You sure? There's nothing more I should know about him? Charlie scratched the back of his neck. Well, he does forget things now and again, Charlie confessed. You know what I mean? No, Mike said flatly. Well, every so often he, I don't know, he gets his wires crossed. What exactly does that mean? Mike asked nervously. Charlie paused while thinking of an example. Like last year, for instance. I caught him taking the lawnmower outside in the middle of winter. I mean, there's snow on the ground and he's thinking about cutting grass, <laughs> Charlie said with a humorless laugh. <laughs> Just silly stuff like that, but harmless. Another time he put the fish food in the dog dish and dropped a dog biscuit in the fishbowl. Charlie smiled reassuringly as Mike bit his lower lip. Well, Sandy's taking the kids out trick-or-treating. That means I'll be here by myself, passing out candy and all that. I won't have much time to spend- Hey, listen, I don't expect you to stay with him for crying out loud, Charlie said hurriedly. I was just hoping you could keep an eye on him from time to time. You can do that from your front door as you're passing out candy. That's really all I expect you to do. Oh, and I want Richard to know that if he runs into any problems on his end, he's got someone to go to. Mike hesitated. Not that I expect any problems, Charlie hastened to add. After all, we're not talking about rocket science, he's just going to be passing out candy to kids. Charlie waited expectantly. Yeah, sure, I'll keep an eye on him, Mike said reluctantly. Hey, 
Thanks, Mike. You're a real stand-up guy. Like I say, it's only from 7 to 9. Mike nodded. 7 to 9. Got it. Mike watched as Charlie trotted back across the street and gave Richard a friendly pat on the back. Charlie said something to Richard, who looked back at Mike, smiled a vacant smile, and nodded. Mike waved feebly at Richard. Still feeling uneasy about the situation, Mike picked up the bag of candy and went inside his house. As the afternoon progressed, Mike proceeded to make last-minute preparations for the evening's festivities. He filled the candy bowl and placed it on the table near the front door. Not wanting to deal with a barking dog with each ring of the doorbell, he shooed the beast into the backyard, making sure it had an ample supply of food and water. He put a few finishing touches on the decorations in the front yard, being particularly proud of how the fake arm appeared to reach out from the dirt of the flower bed onto the sidewalk, groping for the ankles of unwary visitors. The moaning doormat and screeching skeleton were strategically positioned as well. Soon, the sun eased below the horizon, and darkness began stalking the streets. As Mike was lighting his jack-o'-lanterns, he noticed Charlie and Richard carving pumpkins on Charlie's front porch. Richard seemed very excited by it all, reminding Mike of his own children. Watching them, Mike began feeling guilty about his earlier misgivings. Since his own children, Barry and Melinda, seemed unable to contain their excitement about the coming events, Mike decided to eat an early dinner so they could get started on their rounds. The children, in turn, urged their parents to do away with dinner completely, claiming a lack of appetite as a basis for the request. Oh, you two don't fool me. You just want to get as much trick-or-treating in as possible. Let me just say this about that. Any candy you get this evening stays in the bag until you eat everything on your plates. Mike's wife, Sandy, had warned the children. The children consumed the meal without further argument. After washing the dishes, the children donned their costumes and disappeared into the night with their mother. No sooner had they left than a group of trick-or-treaters neared Mike's house. As the assortment of cartoon characters and supernatural entities approached, Mike observed Charlie's garage door swing open. Charlie backed the car out into the street. Amy, Charlie's wife, reached out the passenger side window and waved to Mike as Charlie maneuvered the car down the darkened street. Thanks, Mike! Amy's voice floated down the street, hung in the darkened air for a moment, and was gone. Trick-or-treat! Mike focused his attention on the children at his doorstep and began passing out candy. Nice arm, mister! One of the children said merrily. Real spooky. It looks just like some dead guy is coming up out of the ground. Thanks, I'm glad you like it, Mike responded, glad someone appreciated his efforts. The children left Mike's house and proceeded down the block, their voices growing fainter with each successive shout of trick-or-treat. Mike glanced across the street and involuntarily tensed as he observed two children trudge up Charlie's front walk and ring the doorbell. The door swung open and Richard's silhouette filled the doorway. Mike distinctly heard two squeaky voices intone their magic formula, trick-or-treat. As Richard tossed a few pieces of candy into their bags, shouts of, thanks, mister, snaked across the street to Mike's ears. The pair sauntered down the walk and over to the next house. Mike relaxed. Well, that went okay, Mike said with relief. An unusually cool autumnal breeze shifted the leaves and drove Mike back inside. He decided to fortify his body against the rising chill with some hot chocolate. Five minutes later, Mike was once again manning his post by the front door, a steaming mug in his hands. 
Almost immediately, a trio of teenagers, done up in face paint and black clothing, appeared at the door. Mike noted the outfits looked well-worn, as if from daily use. What do they call that look nowadays? Mike thought. Gothic? The adolescents apparently felt they were too old to greet him with a trick-or-treat. They merely held out bags as a substitute gesture. They shouldn't even be out. This night's for the little kids, Mike thought, but he said nothing. Come morning, he didn't want to find his house had been pelted with eggs, or something worse, during the night by a group of disgruntled teens. He reached for the candy bowl. If you're running out of candy, we'll be happy to take cigarettes, one of the teenagers said charitably. As the boy opened his mouth to speak, Mike observed a row of rings adorning his tongue. Yeah, or beer, another teen suggested, the rings on his nose and eyebrows flashing in the porch light. Mike knew they were only half-joking. Had he produced the requested items, Mike had no doubt the teens would have been only too glad to accept. Sorry, fellas. I'm afraid you'll have to settle for chocolate, Mike returned. As the teenager shuffled off to the adjoining house, a minor commotion caught Mike's eye. He peered across the street. Five children were scurrying away from Charlie's house. Presently, Richard appeared on the porch and gestured for them to return. The breeze wafted snippets of conversation from the children in Mike's direction. That guy was really scary. Yeah, I don't know what we That guy... Spooky. What do you think it was? Wanted. I don't know, but I'll tell you one thing. I'm not going in anyone's house. What's that all about? Mike wondered aloud. When the children ignored his admonitions and continued down the street, Richard turned and went back into the house. Curious about what exactly had taken place across the street, Mike decided to stay out on the porch and wait until the next group of trick-or-treaters arrived at Charlie's house. Dead leaves, momentarily resurrected by the wind, began clattering along the streets and gutters. Five minutes passed before Mike decided a jacket would be a necessity if he were to remain outside any longer. Gone only a few moments, he was chagrined to find, upon his return, a highly indignant woman shepherding her toddler away from Charlie's house. Richard followed at a distance, imploring them to return. What is he doing? Mike said frustrated at having missed the initial incident. He was able to hear a few sharp words from the child's mother, but they were not overly enlightening. You should be ashamed of yourself. Halloween night frightening children? What on earth is wrong with you? After following the woman and her child for a few paces, Richard desisted in his attempt at mollification and returned to Charlie's house. Determined to discover the cause of Richard's sudden unpopularity, Mike descended the steps of his porch. However, while in the act of crossing the street, he was forced to beat a hasty retreat when two large groups of trick-or-treaters converged on his house from different directions. As Mike rushed back to his station, he noticed the three teenagers who'd visited him earlier were nearing Charlie's front door. Mike watched intently as the teenagers walked past the glowing jack-o'-lanterns and rang the doorbell. The first group of children interrupted his observations with a chorus of trick-or-treat. Trick-or-treat! Mike patiently passed out the candy until the last child had been treated. He then turned his attention back to Richard. The teenagers were gone. Mike glanced quickly in both directions along the street, but failed to see any sign of them. They must have gone inside, Mike thought. Mike's forehead crinkled in concern at this new development. Now why would they... 
Cigarettes or beer, Mike muttered. They must have used that line on Richard, too. He was too naive to know any better, and he invited them inside. Mike's thoughts were interrupted as the second wave of children accosted him. I've got to get over there as soon as I can. You can bet your life they'll take advantage of Richard in some way, probably drinking up all of Charlie's stock at this very moment, Mike thought as he passed out treats. Noticing the candy bowl had been severely depleted by the latest onslaught of children, Mike entered his house to replenish the supply before visiting Richard. Once inside, the phone rang. Hello? Mike said quickly, impatient to check on Richard. Mike! This is Charlie! The music in the background nearly smothered Charlie's voice. Hey, Charlie. How's the party? It sounds pretty wild. Mike moved to the window overlooking the street so he could keep an eye on the movements over at Charlie's house while he talked. It's just like being back in college. Charlie noted nostalgically. Some guy just threw up in the punch bowl. Lovely. Yeah, he really impressed the boss with that stunt. How's Richard doing? Mike saw no reason to worry Charlie by telling him about the teenagers. He would handle the situation after the phone conversation was finished. He's doing fine, Mike said, a touch of uncertainty coloring his voice. Charlie immediately picked up on it. Any problems? Well, I don't want to get you worried over nothing, Mike temporized. Come on, Mike, give. Charlie demanded. I'm sure it's nothing, but I noticed a few people hurrying away from your house earlier. Why? What's Richard doing to them? Charlie asked with some concern. Like I said, I don't think there's anything to worry about. I think he's just, well, I think he's being too friendly, Mike said, trying his best to sound reassuring. How's that? I think he's trying to invite people inside the house, and well, you know how it is nowadays. There's just not much trust in the world. He probably just wants to show them some of your decorations. Oh, is that all? Charlie seemed relieved. Yeah, I can see him doing that. Richard's a really friendly guy. He gets excited about little things like that, just like a kid. Mike watched as Richard emerged from the house with another jack-o'-lantern. After lighting a candle and placing it inside, he returned to the house. You should have seen him carving those pumpkins today. He really enjoyed that. Charlie said as if on cue. Tell me about it. Mike remarked. He just brought out another one. Yeah, I left him some extras. I thought it might amuse him for a while. I hope he doesn't cut himself, though. Mike, growing apprehensive about what manner of damage the teens were inflicting on Charlie's house, decided to terminate the conversation. Hey, listen, Mike said. I don't want to keep you from the party. Yeah, I should really get back. Thanks again, Mike. I owe you. No problem. By the way, have some punch for me. I'll do better than that. Charlie laughed. I'll bring you a cup. (laughs) Later, Charlie. Mike left the phone by the candy bowl. After making sure no trick-or-treaters could be expected in the next few minutes, he locked his front door and descended the steps of his porch. A gust of wind coursed down the avenue, momentarily animating the corpse of evening. Serrated leaves swirled indecently around his legs in a brief assault before moving on hastily. Mike flipped the collar on his coat in an effort to protect his neck from the icy caress. As Mike stepped off the curb, another sustained gust flooded the night. Jack-o'-lantern candles up and down the block winked out in response. Clouds roused to action by the invisible turbulence slowly choked off the moonlight. Except for the sparse light emanating from the interior of the house, Charlie's porch was left in complete darkness. Mike, wary of potential pitfalls lurking in the dark, approached the house slowly. 
The blackened forms of jack-o'-lanterns lined the bench on his left. The pungent scent of singed pumpkin flesh lingered stubbornly in their vicinity. Mike perceived another odor as well. Some other material had recently been burning, something other than pumpkins. The odor, unpleasant and unfamiliar, was soon dispersed by the wind. As he prepared to knock, Mike heard a sound coming from the house. His hand remained suspended, inches from the door. He waited impatiently for the sound of the rolling, rustling leaves to subside. Oh, they're probably tearing the place up, Mike muttered ruefully. Charlie's going to kill me. Mike cocked his head, bird-like, straining to hear. Then it came again. A subtle, intermittent, grating sound filtered through the glass of the door. Instead of knocking, Mike cupped his hands around his face and peered into the house. Newspapers covered the tiled floor near the entrance. It was apparent Richard had done his pumpkin carving in the entryway. Little mounds of pumpkin flesh and seeds dotted the newspapers. At least he was neat about it, Mike thought. No complaints there. Mike heard the rasping sound again and sensed movement at the far corner of the room. He saw Richard's hulking form kneeling on the floor and engaged in some form of activity. Mike squinted. The room was starved of light. Amorphous shadows, growing turgid as they gorged on the darkness, teemed around Richard like familiars. Now what's he up to? Mike wondered. And where are those teenagers? Don't tell me he left them alone. Mike spied something metallic in Richard's hand. He must be, what, carving, sawing? I don't believe it. He lets those punks have the run of the house while he's down here making more jack-o'-lanterns. For Pete's sake, how many pumpkins did Charlie... A sickening notion occurred to Mike. He sometimes gets his wires crossed. A connection was made in Mike's brain. His eyes swiveled back to the newspapers, back to the newspapers and the neat little piles. Before, he'd only given them a cursory glance. After all, it seemed an unimportant matter at the time. Now, as he gave them his full attention, he could see they were not all the same. Not all of them were composed of the innocuous innards of pumpkins. Some were, in fact, quite obscene in their content. Mike, his stomach rebelling against the sight, turned away. Waves of nausea assailed him. Oh my... No, no! Mike groaned. The clouds obscuring the moon scuttled aside like cockroaches in response to the steadily growing breeze. Once again, the brilliant light of a full moon illuminated the porch, and Mike was treated to a new spectacle. He could now see with frightening clarity all the jack-o'-lanterns displayed upon the bench as they stared at him with gaping, sightless sockets, both those made from pumpkins and those not made from pumpkins. Mike realized the teenagers would not be causing problems at Charlie's house, or anywhere else for that matter. Emitting a series of guttural whimpers, Mike fled from Charlie's house. Although he clasped his hands tightly over his ears, Mike could not escape the sound. The harsh, rasping sound of Richard scraping and sculpting another of his infernal jack-o'-lanterns. Ooh, that just gets me so excited to pick out my own teenager heads for the porch this year. I just love jack-o'-lanterns, don't you? Wait, did I say teenager heads? (laughs) No, you must have misheard me. I love to carve pumpkins. Pumpkins, I say. 
And I don't know about you, but I can't stand it when people smash them. If you share that irritation, the next story may prove cathartic for you. Our protagonist thought destroying a jack-o'-lantern and stealing its seeds was a harmless prank. Sounds innocuous enough, right? Well, this pumpkin contained more than simple seeds. M.S. Found in a Pumpkin I don't know if I'm considered an accomplice, so I don't know if they'll come after me like they came after Tony. If they do come after me, then I don't have much time, and I've got to get the story down on paper so there's some record of it. So, here it is. Last Halloween, my best friend Tony Lapham and I decided to go out. We're past the age of trick-or-treating, but we still like to go out on Halloween and just walk, talk, drink, and enjoy the atmosphere. And every so often, we like to play a prank. That's what was on our minds last Halloween. Pranks. We decided to walk past the abandoned house on 27th near Ivy and check it out. That house is kind of an oddball, always has been. For some reason, no other houses were built on the block, and this house sits there all by itself, set way back from the street. The house hasn't been lived in for years, and it's covered with graffiti, got broken windows, weeds all over, you name it. Kids use it as a hangout for dealing drugs, using drugs, and any other illegal activity you can think of. We figured that on Halloween there should definitely be some action going on, and we could maybe scare some teenagers right back into their childhood by breaking some bottles against the house and making some noises. We got there around 9 o'clock. The house was dark, but that didn't mean much. When people go in that house, they're doing stuff they don't want anyone else knowing about. Meaning, they don't want to draw the attention of any cops that happen to be passing by, so they keep the place dark. We sneaked up to the side of the house. Everything was real quiet. We looked through the window. We were surprised to see the place was empty. No, people, I mean. There was the usual mess of broken glass and empty beer cans and all the other trash you find in places like that. We went inside anyway. Over in the corner, where we couldn't see it from the window, was a jack-o'-lantern. It was real plain. Just triangle eyes, triangle nose, and a zigzag mouth. You know the kind. Like you make as a kid when you're just learning how to carve pumpkins. Burning inside of the jack-o'-lantern was a black candle. The candle hardly made any light, which is why we didn't see it from the street. We get spooked a little bit by the whole thing. I mean, someone must have been there just a few minutes before us to light the candle, but now there's nobody around. And what was the point of the jack-o'-lantern, anyway? It's not like the place is going to get a bunch of trick-or-treaters, so we know it's not for show. It's like the place had been used for some type of, I don't know, ceremony or something, and this jack-o'-lantern is saying, This place is off-limits, so stay out. Anyway, instead of us scaring some punk teenagers, it turns out we're the ones getting spooked, even though neither of us wants to admit it. We notice the pumpkin's guts are lying right next to the jack-o'-lantern, and Tony gets an idea. He grabs some of the seeds and puts them in his pocket, thinking we can plant them in the spring, and then next Halloween we'll have some pumpkins of our own we can carve into jack-o'-lanterns. There's nothing else of interest in the place, and we were about to leave when Tony goes back to the pumpkin and gives it a good hard kick. I guess he did it just to show he wasn't really scared by the thing. The pumpkin went flying against the wall and broke into a couple of pieces, and the candle went out. No big deal. We've both done a lot worse. We didn't think about that night again until late spring when it was time to plant the seeds. Tony likes to plant things in his backyard. He plants a lot of things I don't even know the names of. He saved a place in the corner of his yard right next to the marigolds for the pumpkin seeds. 
He made a nice little hill for them, just full of cow crap and peat moss, made a hole for them, popped them in, covered them up, and watered them. He called me up a couple days later and told me they'd started coming up out of the ground. He sounded upset, but I didn't understand why. I figured he'd be happy, what with the plants coming up so fast. I don't know anything about plants, so I don't realize it's unusual for pumpkins to grow that fast. Tony explained it all to me. He told me he was worried and maybe he should yank them out of the ground, get rid of them. I told him he just did a good job of planting and that's why they came up so fast. I don't convince him, but he doesn't pull the plants out either. He told me the marigolds would take care of things. Tony especially liked his marigolds. He was proud of how big they grew and how they would sooner or later smother all the plants around them. Those marigolds were kind of like a son to Tony, a son who can beat up all the other kids on the block. From then on, Tony couldn't seem to get those pumpkin plants out of his mind. Things started happening in his backyard and he blamed it all on the pumpkin plants. For example, one night I went over to his house and we ordered some pizza and had some beers. It was too hot in the house, even after dark, so we went out on his back porch. Like I said, he planted the pumpkins next to the marigolds. Pretty soon I smell something real nice and I ask Tony what the smell is. He tells me he loves the smell and that it's the marigolds. Then he gets a strange look on his face. I can tell he's scared, and that kind of scares me because Tony doesn't scare easy. I ask him what the matter is and he tells me the marigolds don't make that strong of a smell unless the plant is damaged somehow, like being crushed or cut or something. I suggest we go check it out and he says to forget about it, to just go inside and watch TV. He went back inside the house and I walked over to the corner of the yard. I shined my little pocket flashlight on the plants and saw the pumpkin stems were twisted around the marigolds and it looked like they were just choking the life right out of them. I mean, you couldn't see them actually moving, but that was the impression I got, that they were choking the marigolds. I didn't tell Tony about it when I went inside. I got the feeling he already knew what was going on. Sure enough, a couple of weeks later I went over to Tony's house and checked out the situation in his backyard and found the marigolds were dead as could be but those pumpkin vines were crawling all over the place. Another time I was over at his house and he took me into the corner of his backyard where the pumpkin plants were. He pointed to a dead mouse. I asked him why he was showing me a dead mouse and he said the pumpkin plant killed it. I was about to call Tony a nut when I looked at the mouse again and sure enough one of the stems of the plant was wrapped around the body of the mouse. I told him the mouse probably died from something else and then the stem happened to grow around the body. He didn't buy it though. It turned out that Tony only got one blossom off of those pumpkin plants. The plants grew like crazy but all he got was one blossom. All through the summer that pumpkin got bigger and bigger and Tony did his best to ignore it. He was losing weight and losing sleep. I told him one day in August that pumpkin sure would make a great jack-o'-lantern. He said he wasn't going to do anything with it. Tony finally told me what was bothering him. He got the idea that some type of evil ritual had taken place in that abandoned house. He thought the jack-o'-lantern and black candle were part of the ritual and that something evil would come from the pumpkin he was growing in the backyard. He believed we might be the targets of evil spirits or something because we trespassed on the ritual. He was sure he was going to get the worst of it since he was the one who booted the jack-o'-lantern up against the wall and knocked out the candle. I've never seen Tony afraid of anything made out of flesh and blood, but he was downright terrified of what he thought that pumpkin was going to do. Of course I told him he should consider himself nuts if he believed all that. I told him there hadn't been any ritual and the pumpkin in his backyard was just a pumpkin. He nodded his head and smiled a weak little smile, but I could tell he was still scared.
and he stayed scared right up until the day before Halloween. That was yesterday. I went over to his place and told him it was time to carve that pumpkin. He started to say something, like he was going to argue with me, but he was in no shape to do it. Five months of worrying about that pumpkin had really done a number on him. He was a broken man. I went out and brought that pumpkin inside. The thing must have weighed 70 pounds. I set it down in the middle of his kitchen on some newspapers and grabbed a knife. He moved away a few steps, like he thought it was going to squirt blood or something. I cut the top out and showed him the inside. It had the same stuff you find in any other pumpkin. For the first time in five months, I saw Tony smile. Not a fake smile, a real smile. I've never seen anyone so relieved about anything. He finished carving the jack-o'-lantern himself and stuck a candle in it and put it out on his front porch. He took the seeds and soaked them in salt water so we could roast them the next day. I went over to his house again today, Halloween, and we had a good time passing out candy. When we saw some of the older kids coming towards the house, we hid in the bushes and jumped out when they passed by. We only did that with the older kids. We figured they shouldn't be trick-or-treating anyway, so they deserved it. But we also figured they could take it. We had some beers and watched TV. It was around 10 o'clock when I went home. About an hour later, I got a phone call. All I could hear was a lot of screaming. I thought it was a Halloween joke, and I started to hang up when I heard my name. I realized it was Tony. He was trying to tell me something in between crying and cussing and screaming, and I couldn't understand a word he was saying. I told him I'd be right over. I got to his place a few minutes later. Some lights were on in his house, and everything was real quiet. I walked up to the front door. On the bench, right where Tony put it the day before, sat the jack-o'-lantern. The candle was still burning, and it was grinning at me, just like he knew a secret that I didn't. I rang the doorbell a few times, but Tony didn't answer. Tony hides a key outside, just in case he locks himself out of the house. I knew where he kept his key, so I got it and let myself in. I called his name, but nobody answered. I don't mind telling you, I was scared. I walked into his kitchen and found the oven door open. Scattered all over the floor was bits and pieces of pumpkin seed shells. I walked through the kitchen and into the TV room and found Tony. He was lying on the floor near the phone, and I could tell, just as sure as I knew my own name. I could tell he was dead. Poor Tony, eyes wide and popping out of his face, his mouth hanging open like he let out a scream at the same time his heart quit. I couldn't see any wounds from where I was standing. It looked to me like he'd been scared to death. I was really spooked then. I can't tell you how badly I wanted to run out of that house, but maybe you can imagine. But my curiosity was bigger than my fear. I just had to know what happened in that house. I went over to get a good look at Tony, and as I got closer, I saw hundreds of little holes in him. They were just little holes, no bigger than what might be made with a pin and hardly enough to draw blood, but his whole body was covered with them. Like I said, I knew he was dead the minute I saw him, but I figured I should feel for a heartbeat anyway, just in case. I bent down and grabbed his wrist, and I felt a sharp pain in my finger. I dropped Tony's wrist and held my hand up to the light. I couldn't believe what I saw. I was looking right at it, but I still couldn't believe it. Then I thought about what I'd seen in Tony's kitchen, and I thought about the little holes in Tony's body, and I thought about what was stuck in my own finger. I finally figured out what happened in Tony's house that night, and I knew how Tony had died. I left Tony's house and came back to my place. That was about 30 minutes ago. I started writing down everything I could remember. 
I want people to know exactly what happened to Tony and what might happen to me. Not that anything can be done about it, it's just that I think it's important that people know what happened. As soon as I finish writing, I'll blow out the candle in my own jack-o'-lantern and hide this paper in there. I'm hoping they'll consider the jack-o'-lantern sacred ground or something like that and they'll leave it alone. Right now, I can hear something at the window. It might just be branches scratching the glass, I sure hope that's all it is. Then again, it might be something else. It might be what I pulled out of Tony's wrist. Maybe that's what's at the window. Dozens of them tapping and scratching on the glass, trying to break it, trying to get inside. Dozens of those tiny pitchforks carried by the tiny demons that hatched out of the pumpkin seeds. Thank you for indulging my pumpkin obsession this episode. Also, thank you to my brother, David May, as he provided the music for that story. I recorded it live as he played it on our old family piano, the one we both played throughout our childhoods, which made it extra special for me. Now, go forth, dear listener, and know that even if you are anti-candy corn, I'm deeply grateful to be sharing October with you. Once again, I'm James Allen May, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of October by May. October by May is a bi-weekly podcast with new episodes every other Tuesday. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single sojourn into October. Please leave us a rating and review, as well as any comments or replies that you may have for us. Also visit us at OctoberByMay.com for more info, as well as links to the books by Edward T. May. Jack-o'-lanterns by Edward T. May M.S. Found in a Pumpkin by Edward T. May Recitation and Audio Design by James Allen May Theme by Hassan Nazari Rabadi.